Welcome, everybody, to New Thoughts with David Alexander podcast. I am your host, David Alexander. We are uh, extending this conversation, part two, with my dear friend Lola Wright. Uh, Please listen to part one, hear her bio, and figure out what she's up to. She is a fierce and powerful voice in the world for change and transformation, and she takes no prisoners. So uh, whatever whatever, uh, you are up to, um, you want to stop right now and take a listen to this. My friend Lola Wright out of Chicago. LolaWright.com is where you can find out everything that she is up to. She's uh, been uh, deeply informed by the hip-hop culture, black liberation theology and context, uh, a new thought minister, uh, a trainer in the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, uh, a doula, uh, just a a, a midwife and a birther of new realities. How about that? And I think I said in the first podcast, whatever box you try to put her in, she's going to origami it into something completely new and transformative. So welcome back, Lola. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here with you. So let's keep going in this conversation. We were just getting the ball rolling. uh, and, And let's talk now about... Uh, now that we've kind of talked about, hey, don't don't be agitated if you if the hairs pop up on your neck if we say white people, um, that that means we're talking to you. Uh, we want you to investigate what that is that's causing those hairs to rise up. And so what we know is that we're uh, we're living in a moment um, which appears to be what I called um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge moment of this generation, uh, right? The Edmund Pettus Bridge was a moment when the, the TV cameras turned on and um, Bloody Sunday and then people saw the marching and they saw the police turn on the protesters and they saw uh, people beaten and trampled down uh, by horses and everything else, including the great uh, Atlanta uh, Representative Congressman John Lewis, and um, and the death of George Floyd uh, seems to be uh, that Edmund Pettus moment, that moment where people saw it uh, and were so shocked and and outraged uh, that it moved them. Right, we've been shocked and outraged at. Tamir Rice and and uh, Emmett Till, uh, you know, everybody uh, that the whole gamut but not enough white people have moved, right? And there was something about, and it's the same thing in the 60s, there's something about that Edmund Pettus Bridge moment that people actually got out of their seats and they marched and they showed up in Washington and things began to change from that moment. And I, I pray, I hope that we are in the early days of seeing that, that this is proving to be that moment, which is, you know, on, on one end, um, good news, but on the other end, it's incredibly tragic that it has taken taken this long and it has taken yet uh, another death and so many more deaths uh, to to forge that moment. And so with all that said, many white people are asking, what can I do? What should I be doing? And we talked in the first episode about leading with curiosity um, and not asking your um, black and brown friends or co-workers to teach you, but to teach yourself. There's Good gosh, there's a ton of websites and resources and available. Again, Google it. <laughs> there's all kinds of videos you can watch um, and books to read and et cetera. And so uh, you did. You led a, a, a course in a class called Normal White People, which was about, well, tell us what it was about. Yeah, if I can, I, if I can just go back for, mm-hmm. for one moment to some yeah. of the things that, I mean, I think it's important to realize that like why, what what has had this moment be different? And I 
I think mm. it, to understand that it's like, we can, I mean, there are you know, many things we can point to, but I think we can point to the fact that we, you know, the absurdity that was used in the campaigning of the election of the current president. Yeah. I mean, that guy has been as consistent as he promised to be. And so where some believed it was more just like rhetoric, it's like, no, he, he's really done a fantastic job of delivering precisely what he said he'd deliver. So we're, we're at the, the tail end of, of that. So there's the dis-ease of the reality of him being consistent with his word, having profound integrity with his promises. I just want to really get that. Wow. Like, wow that's a way to frame it. Yeah. You know, and, and so... Uh, the, the the scales kind of falling from the eyes of people who said, well, maybe he'll grow into the job. I, I mean, right. I, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm the Sunday after his election. I first went to Trinity United Church of Christ at seven in the morning mm-hmm. because I knew that I wanted to hear Otis Moss III give a word before I made any attempt to give a word. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there, breathed. I then went to do our Sunday experience. And, you know, there was, Bodie was a progressive community. It really was. I mean, I would say, you know, if you look at the movement, it was on the progressive end of the movement. And there were still people that were like, you're so inflammatory. I mean, like, why do you have to assume the worst? And I'm like, hey, look, this is not personal. This is business. This is called mathematics. Like, (laughs) you know, this is not what could he do. It's what he said in the campaign. So important to understand we're at the end of four years and really five and a half years when you take into consideration the campaigning. Yep. That's occurred. We have are 12 weeks in on a pandemic. So we've had our sports taken away from us, like all of the ways we have easy access to distraction. Mm, to, 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 to numb out. To numb out, largely eliminated. Mm-hmm. Then you have the explicit footage of the murder of George Floyd. Then you have the very delayed uh, charges and then the light charges. But here's here's what really tips the scale from my perspective. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, white people are scared of how this runs the risk of impacting their comfort. Mm. And now all of a sudden, we better get this together. Mm-hmm. Like, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like there. without all of that, like what, ha, what occurred is not new. Right. You know, so I just think it's important, like actually from my perspective, what has this be different from the conversations? I, I mean, I've had more conversations with white people in the last 72 hours. I've been having this conversation for 30 plus years. Right. And the um, outpouring of interest to awaken one's sense of awareness around injustice and racism is at an all-time high in the last 72 hours. And the only explanation for that, from, from my perspective, is all of a sudden, I feel impacted. Because I actually didn't care when you were impacted. Right. <laughs> and 
and I, I mean, I, I know that we don't like to hear it that bluntly mm-hmm. because it's like, it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. It's like that can't occur again. If you remember from last episode, we said, rather than ask the question, that can't be true. Ask the question, how is that true? You know? And so I think, yeah. So I just, I just wanted to you know, provide a yeah, little... Yeah, the, the c- combination of things, uh, the campaign, the, the the current administration, the proximity of some of these events, including Ahmaud Aubrey, uh, and, the, and the extreme delay of justice, you know, there. You know, Brianna Taylor, who's... Brianna Taylor, just well. living in her house, minding her own business, you know. Um, and again, the, uh, to very much to your point, many of those things are not new. You know, the young man in Dallas was sitting in his apartment eating ice cream in his underwear. Um, so, so these incidences, uh, and, and the style of them are, are not new. Uh, but perhaps it's some amalgamation of the proximity of them. The fact that we're home, the, some of the numbing things like sports are not available to us. Um, and we're all online and who knows what other, uh, uh factors, but whatever it is. Yeah. Now it's well, probably not. I'm scared that you're going to loot my neighborhood. Mm. And mm. so now I'm like, Oh, Oh no, this is getting a little too close to home for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like don't even get me started on the, the looting topic, but <laughs> what I want to bring attention to just for my own well being is like in this now moment, I'm feeling like a swirling in my belly. I feel actually sort of sick to my yeah. stomach. And I'm noticing just like a wave of sadness is here. And I think it's important to call that out because when we don't have um, a conscious relationship with our body sensations and our emotional intelligence, that stuff starts to rise Mm -hmm. and we can't be with it. We haven't cultivated the capacity to be with it. And what is occurring on the planet and has been occurring in this country since its supposed inception is heartbreaking. And so if we try to not feel the heartbreak, we're really just delaying our healing, you know? And so I just like, I just want to pause and be like, yeah, I feel, I feel sick to my stomach. I, I notice the one in me who would love to be able to opt out of this conversation, to avoid it, to look another way, to not have to deal with it. Um, And yet I know just on a microcosm from my own healing work, it it doesn't function that way. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so there's so much unexpressed pain grieving. Uh, I know you were on um, a call just yesterday uh, with with our dear friend Deborah Johnson, and, and I love what she had to say about grief, you know, grieving not only that which has, has died, that, you know, the ending of a relationship as a great example, uh, but then the grief is also about the dream that, that was never lived, right? When a relationship ends, you grieve, oh, the pain of we're breaking up and going our separate ways, but you're also the last thing to, to come bubble up in the grief is we never got happily ever after. 
right? We right. never got to experience, you know, this or that. Um, and, and so that is happening, the, the, the grief of what has actually occurred and then the grief of the dream of democracy, the, the dream of, of justice for all, the dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone uh, has not yet occurred for so many people. Um, and that's been the way, been that way for 400 years. So, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. So a couple, we, we, in episode one, we, a series of this, we talked already a lot about uh, white conditioning. Um, and we said, you know, one of the things that can come up that it, it can be a roadblock is just shame, um, shame for being white. I hear that a lot. Well, I'm just tired of feeling bad for, for being white. And that's why I wanted to bring up that thing about the, well, you know, you're not white. You're conditioned into believing that you're white. You're actually, you know, German, Irish, Scottish, Polish, you know, something, uh, some amalgamation of those things. Um, and all of those cultures have beautiful wonderful, rich things about them, right? But you've been conditioned to this homogenized version uh, of uh, called white, and, and then that's called normal, right? That's the normal narrative, the normal thing, uh, the, the standard bearer for society, et cetera. And so breaking that down, you've got to get over that shame, and you got to say, oh, there's a conditioning, there's a lens, there's a filter that's been put on me, and I need to challenge that. Um, and we all do. Um, so I think we've we've talked a lot about that already. I want to get to some of these other uh, comments that have come in for those watching online. Uh, Savannah asks us because uh, she's pointing to the next thing that can get in the way, especially from from good white folks. Uh, she says, "Can you tell us how to speak to those new thought folks who say, um, well, but we are all one. We believe in oneness. Should we? So we shouldn't see color, and we should all know our oneness and inclusivity." That's the other thing, right? The first thing that gets in the way is the shame, the I don't want to feel bad about being white, etc. The next thing that gets in the way is this idea of being a good white person, right? I believe in oneness. I believe in justice. I believe in equality. Um, and, and we should all just not see color. So what do we do with that? Well, first of all, I just have to say, like, white people crack me up. <laughs> Like, I mean, it was like so funny to me, the lengths to which white people will go to weasel out of this conversation. Oh, like, wow. And I really say that like not as, as a criticism so much as just like, that's hysterical to me. Yeah. Like, right. like it's really like notice, like putting this topic of race aside, just take any area of your life and like, Imagine, because most of us have been in, in relationship with another person, an intimate partnership. But like when your partner is like, you know, they're trying to weasel out of a conversation. Right, right, right. You know, when and, that moment's happening. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, my gosh, is is he for real doing this right now? Right, right. Like, and, and there's like the point at which you're like infuriated about it. But then there gets to the point of like, that's hysterical. Like we've been doing this dance for 20 years, you know, like in the case yeah. of a marriage. Yeah. Or Denial is a, is a, is a powerful drug, right? Yeah. And so I think one of my invitations for white people is like, what if like, you got to hear me on this, you know, and, and just notice if you get, tr if, if those who are deeply down for the cause and the struggle get triggered, but, but hang in there with me. Okay. What if you didn't take this so seriously? 
Because Mm -hmm. here's what's true about the human brain. When something is made so serious, you lock into your survival patterns. You're actually neurologically, biologically, physiologically not available for learning. Mm. So my experience is that white people are just as traumatized, very differently traumatized, but just as traumatized by racism as those who are directly impacted by it. It, it moves differently. It shows up differently. But it's important to go, ooh, okay. All right. I, can I laugh at myself a little bit for how serious I'm making this? Mm-hmm. Not because there aren't deadly impacts to it. I want to be explicit about that. Of course. But because when you are so entrenched in your reptilian brain, you can't, you literally can't be with it. So part of what, like, that's part of the, the, the gift and the beauty of humor is like, that's funny that, that, that you can't, can't accept that about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's funny. And, and most, most people of color, most black people that, that I spend time with are like, that is hysterical that white people think that, that they don't have this worldview. So number one, I would just say, be willing to, to, to just try it on. Like, how could it be true? How could it be true? And to me, like the denial of difference is not at all the practice. Like, I don't think that's the application of the philosophy at all. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, it's like to, to deeply devote my life to oneness is to appreciate the multiplicity of existence and to notice like the tapestry the weaving the intricacy the you know like i have four kids and i can like this one has a freckle right here and this one has a freckle on the left butt cheek like oh my gosh that's amazing but can you imagine if i was over here sitting here like no 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 i'm sorry i am a practitioner of oneness And what that then means is I can only appreciate each of my children if the freckles are in exactly the same spot. (laughs) Nobody would say that that's what that practice is. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think, um, you know, I've, I've shared about this on, on other episodes of talking about the difference in new thought, the difference between our philosophy and our theology, Right. And a philosophy of oneness is just that. It's intellectual. It's it's a philosophical idea that, oh, we're all one and we all get along and we don't see difference and yada, yada, yada. Okay, great. Um, but when you come into, so you, you, you can be in new thought and you can be all about the philosophy. And it's about power of your word and manifestation and creation and, and empowerment and et cetera. We also, we, we are not just a philosophy, right? Ernest Holmes said we're a philosophy of faith and a way of life. And so faith and way of life speak to our theology. And theology is inherently social and community oriented. It's about our understanding of God or the divine, um, which, and, and it's uh, in traditional theological circles, they would say his relationship, but it, we know its relationship with the community, with the people, with, with its creation, and that's everybody. And so if we say we have a theology of oneness, 
then that's a very different thing than a philosophy of oneness. Yeah. I just really, of oneness. like when, when David does this, I'm like, yeah, like, like yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> I love, I love the, uh, like the, the distinctions that you draw. They're so powerful because I think that that speaks to the question too. We want these like easy, quick, you know, like overarching things that we, that doesn't require that we have the intellectual rigor and what you tirelessly demonstrate is such flipping intellectual excellence and rigor. And like, you don't just accept something at like the McDonald's level of ingestion. It's like, (laughs) Gosh, I flipping love that about you. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> so, so to come back to that question, what do we say with people who say, is this all oneness? Uh, yeah, it's a theology of oneness, which means we have to demonstrate that in our relationship with the entire community, with the beautiful diversity. Uh, and if you say you love, if you say you love your children, if you say you love creation, uh, we could go, go back to Paul Tillich here, right? Paul Tillich says the first duty of love is to listen. Mm-hmm. The first duty of love is to listen. Mm-hmm. So if I say I love uh, my brothers and sisters, I love and, and I think we're all one. Okay, then that means I'm listening to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to your pain and I'm listening that, oh, your life experience is not the same as my life experience. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I don't want that to be the case. Um, you know, and I'm leaning into that listening and then responding out of that place to, to do what I can do. I would do, if I listen to my children and they say, the world has hurt me like this, I, out of love for my children, would do whatever it would take to make things better for them right? Because they're my children, because they belong to me. And, and so if we say that we have a theology and a God whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere, so everybody and everything belongs to us because we have a theology of oneness, then our duty is to listen. Listen to the planet, listen to the people, uh, listen to every, everything and everyone, and respond with love. And, and that means responding with compassion and justice and, and action. Uh, we obviously have more to unpack. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I know. I just want to answer this one inquiry that came forward, and I know we're over time, but just really quickly, Danny says, "I'm befuddled and furious at the callous displays of people imitating knees on the neck of George Floyd. How can we respond to this without only sharing our disgust?" Ooh. And I want to say a couple things about that. Number one, please understand that the media system is a consciousness that you're swimming in that is designed to divide. I don't care what side of the spectrum you are on. Media is designed to co-opt your mind and keep you on a loop of distraction and separation and division. So I think first it's really, really important that like if you're having a physiological response to media, that means it's working perfectly. Because Mm. no matter what side of this experience you're on, we have to stay sober to the notion that all of this is a massive machine to keep people separate and divided. And so, you know, as as Reverend Deborah and I spoke yesterday, it's like the call here is to is to um you know, like my practice is forever to know my oneness with Donald Trump. Mm. 
you know, like to really be like, where does that guy live in me? Mm-hmm. Because the moment I think that I am better than him, the moment I like, and it, it, it may manifest differently, mm-hmm. but there are subtle strains that live in me that I can see in him, you know? And it's like, right. so, so when that cop is using that kind of force, it's like, where does that live in me? I'm asking you to look at the subtleties, mm. you know? And so I think the part of it is I, we each have to discern how much, like my son, for example, who's a 20 year old black man, he's like, I'm not watching any of that stuff. He's like, I literally refuse to let that occupy my mind. Right. He's very clear. He's like, I understand the experience that I have walking on the planet as a black man. Like that's been made very clear to me through many mediums since as long as I can remember. I don't actually need more of that evidence. Now for people who are just waking up to this, you may need more of that evidence. Right. You know, so I think we got to discern, like, when is it helpful to ingest media and when is it actually just perpetuating its intention in its sick and toxic state, which is, I would say, where much of our media is today Mm. and and has been, you know, I mean, it's really just mind control. Um, So. Hmm. That's deep. That's deep. We have more questions that have come in and we're out of time for our schedules uh, today, but we're going to have to have you back for uh, part three, maybe part four. Uh, Continue these conversations. My guest, Lola Wright, you can find out all about her and what she is up to in the world, which, as you have heard, uh, is just breaking down paradigms and opening people's minds and uh, just shape-shifting and transforming our consciousness. It's so needed, and her voice is so valuable. I'm so grateful for her, uh, Reverend Lola Wright, lolawright.com. And uh, you've been listening to New Thoughts, a podcast with David Alexander. Check us out on uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, all of those great places. Follow us on Facebook. And special thanks to our podcast host, the Spiritual Living Center of Atlanta, uh, for their support in helping us get this word out. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.